Supergirl is a plant-based soup company in Washington, D.C. Sarah Poland started it with her mom in 2008. In the summer, people are obsessed with our gazpachos. We have a watermelon, tomato, and beet, and spicy tomato that are off the charts. We switch over, you know, in the fall to our fall and winter soups, and we have this amazing harvest lentil butternut squash, and it's just like everything you want in a bowl of soup. And then roasted pumpkin bisque, can't keep that on the shelf. But this year, Sarah has a lot more on her mind than gazpacho and bisque. As of February 28th, we knew what our customers wanted. We knew our plans. March 15th, we knew nothing. Small businesses like Sarah's have had to make hard choices over the past few months about how to keep business open and employees safe during a pandemic. And as a business owner without any data, you are flying in the dark. I cannot tell you how many nights were spent in the fetal position gnawing my teeth because if I don't do this right, someone's going to die. And that's not something that I'm mentally prepared for. So Sarah has turned to one concrete thing she can do, test her employees for COVID-19. But testing the staff each week has been challenging and expensive. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, August 26th. Coming up on the show, how one small business is using testing to make it through COVID-19. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. At the beginning of this year, Supergirl had two stores in Washington, D.C. and more than 40 employees. National chains like Whole Foods and Costco sold its soups. And Sarah says 2020 was shaping up to be a big growth year. But in March, she had to permanently close one location and lay off some staff. She's been using her second store for curbside pickup and delivery. That location has stayed really busy, even after D.C. issued a shutdown. Our phone, to be honest, was ringing off the hook because people are like, I can't leave my house. I need you to keep doing what you're doing. Our website was like on fire. We have not come up for air. We have not taken a day off. We are just trying to figure this out by the minute. The big thing she's trying to figure out is how to keep making thousands of gallons of soup each week while keeping her employees from contracting the virus. I have to say, like, when you have to factor into your decision-making, are you going to, to be blunt, like, kill someone if you make the wrong decision? That level of stress is indescribable. It is indescribable. And it doesn't make sleep come easy. So Sarah's been learning everything she can about COVID every way she can. 
She hired a researcher to help her understand the best practices for her business. And she also reached out to an expert to ask for guidance. And what did he tell you? First, he said this is going to last 24 months, in which case I actually yelled at him. And then he asked if my team was in hazmat suits. And I said, I don't think that's going to work. And then I asked him if I was going to be able to hug my mother. And he did not recommend it. And that's, that's when I, I realized that I needed to have a plan. A comprehensive plan. I realized, yeah, we need the gloves. We need to stagger our shifts to help with some sort of social distancing. We need to pull people off of public transportation. I first spent a ton of money getting KN95 masks, face shields. I bought thermometers for my team. We've installed fans to keep the air moving. We gave bonuses in the beginning to just convince people to stop working for anybody else so we could limit their exposure. And they made those changes during a sweltering D.C. summer. The masks are really hard. When we first started wearing the N95 masks and the face shields, one person passed out and another person, to be honest, vomited. Oh, my God. They are really, really uncomfortable. But PPE isn't necessarily enough to keep a business from becoming a COVID hotspot. The CDC has said that testing workers, quote, may be useful to help reduce transmission. And many companies are making testing a condition of coming back to work, including Supergirl. Can you talk about that moment when you realized testing was the key piece in reopening? Yeah, so without testing, we're in the dark. And this was spreading like wildfire within food industry workers. I needed data especially when we were learning how many asymptomatic people were out there spreading this. And I also realized I can't ask people to go somewhere during the day and leave and get testing. How do I pay them? How do I get them there? I need someone to come to us, and I need to know. Sarah hired a doctor to come to her locations once a week and test everyone. Most employees were on board, though one person quit over privacy concerns. Now, the team has the testing routine down. Every Thursday, the doctor comes and he swabs all of us. It's actually kind of funny watching. The first time we did it, a few people chose the nose, and that is very unpleasant. And then, so most people get swabbed in the mouth and then, like, gag. It's, uh, it's really not very pleasant, but it only takes three seconds. And we've now got it down to a science. Everybody waits outside. One by one, everybody goes in, gets swabbed, and then he or the nurse takes the specimens back to the office and sends them over to Quest Diagnostics. And then we wait. But Sarah soon found out that she had to wait and wait and wait. One gentleman on July 7th called us. He said, I'm fine, but someone in my family is sick. And we didn't get those test results back until July 22nd. What all that waiting does to a business That's after the break. By June, Sarah was testing between 25 and 30 employees a week for COVID. In the first month, results came back quickly and no one tested positive. But then, it started taking longer. 
So in the beginning, we were waiting two, three days. It was great. And then they started taking five days. And by mid-July, we were waiting almost three weeks. This slowdown came at a bad time for her. Sarah tested her team on July 7th. And later that same day, one of her employees called to say a family member was sick. He was totally asymptomatic. And we said, you know, thank you for telling us. You got to stay home um, until we get the test results back. Thank goodness we tested. So we're going to know and we can take immediate action. And we didn't get those test results back until July 22nd. And in between, that gentleman got so sick, he ended up in the hospital. Oh, my. So that batch, the very batch when you have a positive employee, is the one that you had to wait two weeks for. And I don't think my staff believed that really results could possibly take that long. And they got scared and they thought I was withholding information because I didn't want to tell them. And it went from, you know, really feeling like we had a bond and like we were in this together to um, mistrust and questioning and, and fear, just abject fear. Did you tell employees to take extra precautions? I couldn't ask them to do any more than I already was. You know, I reminded them they had their thermometers at home. They all had extra masks. They knew. They know what's going on in their community. After more testing, two other people in the kitchen tested positive. Neither had symptoms, and Sarah sent them home. So all told, three employees got the virus. Sarah thinks the testing helped stop the illness from spreading more than it did. The doctor said I was like a case study in epidemiology because we had stopped an outbreak. And had we not implemented the procedures we had put in, we would have had a devastating outbreak. But because we used those KN95 masks and those face shields, and because my team was so committed, no one else tested positive. And thank God, the gentleman who went to the hospital is now back. He has tested negative. He survived. It was really, really dicey for a few days. And now we're kind of back. Sarah is trying to keep her team's trust and prevent an outbreak, all while footing a huge bill. She hasn't run the numbers yet, but she estimates she spent more than $10,000 on PPE. And each week, she's also shelling out money for testing. She pays that doctor between $650 and $800 each time he comes to test employees. And that doesn't include the cost of the tests themselves. The tests are supposed to be paid for by either the government or the insurance companies under the CARES Act. However, it's really ambiguous if asymptomatic people are covered. And there is a chance that I am going to be hit with a bill that will be devastating because each test costs $100. And I'm testing between 25 and 30 people a week. So if you do the math, if insurance doesn't cover this or if the government doesn't step in, it's not going to be pretty. Would you have to make a choice between staying open or stopping testing? <sighs> God, I hope not. I don't think I'm prepared to make that choice. I don't feel comfortable operating without testing. I cannot do that to my team. I can't say to my team, sorry, in the name of profitability, I'm stopping this. I can't do that. So if testing isn't covered by insurance or the government, what would you do? I guess call in another line of credit. I will figure it out. Look, I'm a small business owner. 
I just live in debt, you know. <laughs> What's another credit card? <laughs> Bigger companies tend to pay their own healthcare costs, which gives them more flexibility in covering the cost of testing. But smaller businesses usually use health insurers, so they are subject to the rules of the insurance companies. How do you, as a small business owner who works with big supermarkets and big businesses, feel in terms of having to shoulder all of these decisions on your own? I have never felt so lonely in my life. Since the start of this pandemic, I feel alone. There's no one that's going to help me. And, you know, when my decisions suddenly become life or death, why is no one helping me? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. I'm not looking for any sort of handout or anything. I'm looking for some guidance. I think there needs to be a federal testing plan in place where there is, if you are in this business, this is the plan for how you test. We identify the hotspots. We know who needs to really shut down and go back into their apartments. And then everyone else can start proceeding with masks on because we all are on the same page. You have some frustration there. I do because I also, I see in my community, I see people hungry. I see people sick. I see people scared, and it doesn't need to be like this. It just doesn't. And I don't think everyone needs to be so... I don't know. I only know the Yiddish word. Uh, Which is? <laughs> Machmir. Everyone, it's just everyone... We just need to treat each other as we want to be treated ourselves. That's my guiding principle. Rabbi Hillel. We need to treat each other as we want to be treated, and I don't think we're doing that. Businesses are pushing for changes in testing policy. Both small and large companies have lobbied Congress in recent weeks, asking for more federal funding for COVID testing. Employers say they shouldn't have to shoulder the cost of restarting the economy on their own. That's all for today, Wednesday, August 26th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting for this episode by Sarah Krauss. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.